Thank you, orchestra, for leading us, not just today, but each and every week, the sacrifices that they make to share and to prepare, and we are so grateful for their leadership. Don't fall there. You all right? All right. Um, How many of you can remember the very first time you drove a car? Now, perhaps it was when you were 15 and you got your permit, but chances are you're probably more like me, and there was that crazy uncle. He's always crazy, right? (laughs) Or maybe a, a grandparent, and you were out in a field, or you were on a farm, or there was a parking lot, and you never forget, you felt so powerful that you and your hands had so much power in front of you that you could drive that car, and you thought, I'll never forget this moment. Maybe it was a new school. Maybe it was middle school or high school, and you walk into this huge building, and you think, wow, I'm never going to understand how to get from one place to the other. This place is always going to feel as large as it does today. How many of you can remember your very first apartment or your very first house? Raise your hand if you remember your very first apartment or house that you moved into. During that time, chances are, you remember that very first night that you slept there. And you thought, is this ever going to feel, what, normal? Is it ever going to feel like this is really where I'm supposed to live? Because all you can think of is where you were, right? Whether it's a new car you're driving, or whether it's an apartment, or whether it's a school, chances are there's these unique experiences that we all have, and we can remember when we stayed there, when we drove there, when we went there for the very first time, and we thought this will never become ordinary. This will never become routine. But then as what? As time goes on and as weeks go on, what seems so new and seems so special and seems so unique, eventually, well, it just becomes ordinary. It just becomes stale to us. And one of the concerns that I have um, as we are about to celebrate one of the two ordinances that the Lord himself commanded for the church to carry out, the first we just witnessed a moment ago with baptism, the second ordinance is um, the Lord's Supper. One of my concerns is that as we observe the Lord's Supper on a more frequent basis that maybe it becomes routine to us. Maybe it can become just an old habit or when we just forget how special and how unique what we are about to celebrate truly is. It's kind of like that new car smell. Don't you wish you could bottle that up? You get in someone's new car, maybe you have a car, you think, man, this smells so good, I wish I could keep it. I buy those air fresheners that say new car. They never smell like a new car, do they? They trick me every time, though. We want to bottle up. We think this is never going to get old. But after a while, just like my fears with the Lord's Supper, we lose that that ordinariness. We lose that uniqueness, and excuse me, and it becomes more and more ordinary. So today, the message is going to be a little bit different. So how's it going to be different? It's going to be different because I'm going to go ahead and tell you my hope is to be more of a teacher today than a preacher. Ronnie, I may not have as many amen points today, but you can when I got them, all right? (laughs) But my hope is that let's take a moment, and let's don't just rush through taking the elements, but let's make sure we understand the significance. Let's make sure we understand the purpose and the meaning behind this incredible gift that the Lord has given us that we get to observe the Lord's Supper. 
So I hope that you have something to take notes with because we're going to dive into some of the important things about this ordinance. We're going to begin by looking at the origin of um, the Lord's Supper. Then we're going to move in by talking about the details. I'm going to answer just some questions, and my goal is to answer these questions according to Scripture, not according to Blake's opinion or the Baptist faith and message, but what does Scripture teach us? Then we're going to look at what's the purpose, and we're going to end by saying, what should our attitude as followers of Jesus be as we receive these elements? Let's begin by looking at the origin of the Lord's Supper. On the night that Jesus, before he was crucified, you'll remember if you were raised in church, even if you weren't, you probably remember that Jesus, he gathered his disciples together, and they went to a room that we now call the upper room. And during that night, as Jesus was with his disciples, he wanted to celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples one more time. When he did this on that particular night, Jesus transformed this ceremony that had been celebrated for hundreds of years by God's chosen people, the Jewish people. You say, what was the purpose of Passover? Do you remember Passover was a time in which they remembered, they recalled When God spared the Hebrew children when they were held in captivity by the Egyptians and the tenth tenth plague, remember the ten plagues, and then the tenth was that the death angel was going to come and to kill the firstborn son. And God had told the Jewish people that if they would take a lamb and sacrifice that lamb and put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost that the angel, the death angel, when he comes, that he will pass over them and will spare their life. So in this moment that Jesus is celebrating this this, um, uh, ordinance, this this meal, this feast that they had been commanded to, to remember, to commemorate, Jesus here, he transforms this into something of infinitely greater significance. Say, Blake, well, how can it be? How can you claim that what Jesus is doing, that the Lord's Supper is infinitely greater than the Lord's Supper? Well, let's take just a moment and let me try to compare the Passover meal and what was transformed into the Lord's Supper. Let's look at this. The Passover, it memorialized Israel's deliverance from what? From slavery in Egypt. So as they had this meal, they would remember how God freed them from slavery in Egypt. Compare that to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper points to the ultimate deliverance of God's people, now not just the Jewish people, but for all who would trust and call upon the name of Jesus, not from slavery from a particular place, but now we are delivered from the the ultimate deliverance from sin and death. Passover, look back to the temporary rescue from physical bondage. They had this ceremony, they had this time, and they looked back to when, when we were enslaved by the Egyptians, and then God, he rescued us out of that physical bondage they had. But the Lord's Supper, it commemorates not a temporary, but the eternal and spiritual deliverance that was provided through the new covenant. Finally, Passover meal. The lambs that were slaughtered foreshadowed, remember that was put over the, the blood that was put over the doorpost, those lambs slaughtered, they foreshadowed the sacrifice of the future, perfect, spotless, blameless Lamb of God. But the Lord's Supper, it shows the lamb that was sacrificed was 
the Lamb of God. Not pointing forward or looking towards someone, but it was himself the Lamb of God. Now, the Lord's Supper is something that has been practiced from the very beginning of the early church. Ever since Pentecost, the the Lord's Supper has been something that every church, uh, according to Jesus' commands in Scripture, has practiced. In fact, in the early church, if you go back and see when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, before they would have the Lord's Supper, they would have a, a congregational fellowship, a feast. In fact, according to Jude chapter 12, it's called a love feast. And the purpose of these congregational meals was to, to, to build and strengthen fellowship within the church. So they would all bring food. They would all celebrate together. They would visit with one another. They would, would get to know one another. It would strengthen the bonds of their fellowship. And then towards the end of that meal, they would then celebrate the Lord's Supper. Well, what happens, and we're going to see that Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, is that during this meal, before they would get to the part where they would observe the Lord's Supper, many of the people were using this as an opportunity to get drunk on the wine that was being served during during these love feasts, during these congregational meals. This is what Paul means in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21, when he says, For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. Understand, Paul's not saying they were getting drunk from the wine of the Lord's Supper. They were getting drunk before it even occurred the time to receive the Lord's Supper. In fact, in the verse right before that, in verse 20, we get the words of why we call it the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 20. It says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Now, don't get hung up on whether you call it the Lord's Supper or communion or Eucharist. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but that's where we get the title, the Lord's Supper. Now, remember, when Jesus instituted this new meal, he transformed the Passover meal into the Lord's Supper. He was celebrating Passover with his disciples. So just give me two minutes. I hope I can do it in two minutes. If not, give me three. What am I saying? Y'all aren't going anywhere, I don't think. Um, You're going to give me two or three minutes. How's that? And I want to go back and let's make sure we understand just exactly what occurred during this time in which they celebrated the Passover meal. During the Passover meal, there would be four cups of wine that they would pass around the table during the meal. During the first cup of wine that was passed around, they would pass it around with some bitter herbs and fruit sauce that they would dip in. So as they're passing around the bitter herbs, the fruit sauce, and taking that first cup of wine, someone would recall, they would reflect upon the meaning of Passover, how God spared the Jewish people back in the time of slavery. Then they would have a second cup. Once they passed the second cup of wine, they would pass it along, this is interesting, along with unleavened bread. And it's at that point in which when Jesus um, took the second cup in which he said this in Luke twenty two nineteen, And he took the bread, which they would have been used to have receiving already. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Quick aside here, where it says that he had given thanks. In Greek, that word for give thanks is Eucharist. That's where we get that word. Isn't that beautiful? I think that's a great term to use. That when we celebrate Eucharist, it's giving thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus. So after the second cup had been passed around, they would then um, enjoy the, the roasted lamb. They would have a prayer, and then they would pass around the third cup. 
Don't miss this. Because it was when this third cup was passed around that Jesus transformed it into the, the cup of communion. That he said this in Luke twenty two twenty, And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is that, is, that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And finally, they would pass around the fourth cup towards the end of the meal. And this fourth cup was in which they were anticipating. They were looking forward to the, the, the coming kingdom. And they would do this right before the group would leave. So that's just a little bit of history of how Jesus took the Passover meal and transformed it into the Lord's Supper. But next, I want us to look at just a few questions, maybe just a few details of why we celebrate the Lord's Supper in this church, why we do. The first question I want to answer is, according to Scripture, who can partake of the Lord's Supper? Again, not Blake's opinion, not the, but what does the Bible say? This is who is able to receive the cup and the bread. Now, there's different denominations have different rules. But what we believe is that according to Scripture, that the Lord's Supper is for everyone who has placed their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Doesn't matter if you're a Baptist. Certainly doesn't matter if you're a member of this church, but if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, we believe the Lord's Supper is for everyone. Secondly, according to Scripture, what should we use for the elements? The action of the Lord's Supper, as far as what we are to do, it's pretty simple. We are strictly to follow the example of Jesus. Listen to Paul's instructions, going back to 1 Corinthians 11. It says, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Quickly, sometimes people get worked up over two different areas when we talk about the Lord's Supper. One is they get worked up over um, how the bread is broken or how it's distributed. The second thing sometimes people like to argue about is what type of liquid do you use as you are receiving the blood of Jesus that symbolizes that. Friends, there's nothing in Scripture that says the bread must be broken this way. Whether you take a loaf and you tear off a piece, whether we pass it in a plate, whether you come to the table, I think that Scripture gives us some freedom as to how we receive the body of Christ. As far as whether we are to use grape juice or whether to use wine, again, there's only one statement in Scripture. It's actually used in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that says this is what should be used as the element. I'm just going to read from Luke chapter 22, verse 18. But again, this is in Matthew and Mark, and this is what it says. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So he calls it what? The fruit of the vine. Bottom line, I don't think that those who use grape juice can feel more spiritual than those who use wine. And vice versa. I don't think those that use wine say, oh, well, we're the ones that... Jesus. No, no, no. I think that there's some freedom there. I just don't think it's worth arguing about. Okay? Let's keep moving. According to Scripture, how often should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Now, again, go back to Scripture. 
There's nothing in the New Testament that gives us the exact timing or frequency of how many times we should observe the Lord's Supper. Let's have a little audience participation here. How many of you grew up taking the Lord's Supper every Sunday? Raise your hand. All right, quite a few. How many of you grew up taking the Lord's Supper once a month? Anybody? Okay. How many grew up taking it every quarter, once a quarter? Okay. That's how I grew up taking it as well. Again, there's nothing in Scripture that says there's one way that's right and there's one way that's wrong. Personal conviction here, I think this is too important for us to only celebrate four times a year. Again, not saying we're more spiritual than those that do. I just think it's so important that I like that as a church that we've made the decision that we're going to honor the Lord. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper once a month. Now, before we get too far, let's make sure that we understand the basics here. What is the purpose behind the Lord's Supper? After all, what are we doing? What's the purpose for what we're about to do? I could come up with my own definition, but there's somebody much smarter than me um, from a book that's called Biblical Doctrine. It's a great book by Mayhew and MacArthur, and this is their definition of why we celebrate the purpose of the Lord's Supper. They say that Jesus instituted his supper as a perpetual memorial for his followers so that they might repeatedly reflect on the eternal significance of his death. Let me read that one more time. Jesus instituted his supper as a perpetual memorial, not something we do once, but that we continually go back to. Why? So that we might repeatedly reflect. That it's not just something that we do, then we're done with it, but we would constantly go back in our minds and reflect, not on just what happened on that day at Calvary when Jesus died for us, but that we would reflect on the eternal significance, the fact that Everything hinges upon this moment that Christ became sin and that he died for us. And three days later, he conquered sin and the grave. Finally, before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want to look at one thing before we, we celebrate. I want to do, look at this very closely. I think this may be the most important aspect of the message. And that is, what does the Lord's Supper signify? We know it's a symbolism, but what, what's the significance of what we receive as we look at the Lord's Supper? Now, I started off with eight different things, but I knew you'd want to be at lunch before two. So I narrowed it down to four, but I think it contains what the Lord's Supper signifies here. Number one, the Lord's Supper signifies Christ's death. That we know that when the bread is broken, that it symbolizes the body of Jesus that was broken for our sin. When we take the juice, that it's symbolic of the pouring out of Christ's blood for us. Friends, the Lord's Supper, it is rooted in historical facts. Don't forget this. Jesus actually lived. He had a heart. This heart pumped blood. Jesus died publicly on a Roman cross in the place of sinners. Why? So that anyone who believes and places their trust in him might be rescued from the wrath of God. May we never forget that this actually happened once and for all in history. This isn't just some spiritual experiment. We don't do this just so that we feel good about ourselves. 
When you think about this, this is an outrageous claim that God himself took on the form of a Jewish man, that he was condemned under Pontius Pilate, that his body was ripped to shreds on a cross, and he rose three days later as the Lord of the universe. These are realities. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we go back to that moment in history. Why? Because my life and your life hangs on that moment in which Jesus took your place. The first thing the Lord's Supper signifies is Christ's death. The second thing it signifies is our participation in the benefits of Christ's death. When we reach out and we take that cup for ourselves, we are proclaiming, don't miss this, that I am taking the benefits of Christ's death for myself. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is when Jesus died, all of my sin, all of my shame, all of my guilt were placed upon him. And in exchange, we receive the righteousness of Christ. Don't let that big word throw you off. All that means is that we receive a right standing before God. He takes our sin. He takes our shame. He takes our guilt. And in exchange, he gives us his right standing before God. So friends, if you don't hear anything else, I don't want you to miss this. If you're a follower of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done for you, because of what we're about to celebrate, we know that when God sees you, he sees you as pure and spotless and blameless. And if that's not reason to celebrate, I don't know what is. We celebrate the Lord's Supper signifies his death, Jesus' death. It signifies the fact that we participate in the benefit of Jesus' death. And third, we affirm our faith in Christ. As we take the cup and we eat the bread, we are proclaiming that my sin was part of the reason in which Jesus suffered and died. We admit by receiving these elements that we need forgiveness, that we can only find eternal salvation, not in our works, not in our best efforts, but we only find salvation through the death of Jesus. This is our hope. This is our confidence. This is the faith in Christ that we affirm as we take the Lord's Supper. And the fourth thing that the Lord's Supper signifies is our hope that Jesus will return. Amen? Yes, we look back and we remember what his death and what his resurrection accomplished for us. But we also look forward with anticipation. I hope that you're anticipating this, that Jesus will return again. He said this, and Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death when? Until, read those last two words, he comes. Yes, Jesus died. Yes, he rose again. Yes, he ascended back to his Father. Yes, he's in heaven. Yes, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. But make no mistake about it, he is coming again. And as we receive the Lord's Supper, we affirm our faith that this is not the end, that he's coming back for his children. So finally, how do we respond 
just a moment, I'm going to pray, and the deacons are going to come, and we're going to receive the elements. How should we respond as we receive these elements? Once again, Jesus gave very clear instructions as to how we are to respond. Listen to the instructions he gave his disciples. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in, what's that next word? In remembrance of me. Jesus is telling his disciples, and in essence, he's telling us today, that as we observe the Lord's Supper, friends, hear me on this, our minds should not be on idle. Our minds should not be thinking about something else, not about lunch, not about what's on our agenda, not about what we've got to do tomorrow. In fact, our minds shouldn't be thinking about anything else other than remembering, other than reflecting on what Jesus did for you that he was crucified on a cross, that he was dead in a tomb for three days. But praise God, on the third day, he was raised to life and he defeated sin and death. Church, we cannot be passive when we're receiving the Lord's Supper. We are to be consciously moving our brains back to what happened at that moment. This really happened. And because of what happened as a result of Jesus' death, it changes everything. We're not to take the Lord's Supper in a flippant or casual manner. In fact, I believe that observing and celebrating the Lord's Supper is one of the most incredible gifts that he has given to the body of Christ in our church. So before we receive the Lord's Supper, May we remember his death. May we reflect on the sacrifice that he gave for you and for me. That he graciously allows us to share in his benefits. May we remember that he's coming again as we affirm our faith. Church, we receive these elements, and hear me, in the Lord's presence. We believe that in a unique, special way that when we receive the Lord's Supper, the Lord's presence is here among us. And listen to me. When we receive the Lord's Supper, we reflect, we remember, but maybe most importantly, we rejoice. Why? Because we understand, we are reminded that the payment for our sin, the debt that our sin um, it deserves, it has been paid in full by the blood of Jesus himself. Would you pray with me? And as I pray, if the deacons would come forward as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. That when we were unable to save ourselves, there was nothing in us worthy of calling upon the name of Jesus that you sent your son who willingly obeyed you perfectly, even to the point of death on a cross. And Lord, as we receive these elements today, we affirm 
That not only that you died, that you sent your son to die for our sins, but that he is alive today and his payment is enough. His payment satisfies the debt of our sin. So we remember your son's death. And we also rejoice in the fact that our debt has been paid in full. I pray that as we receive these elements, that we would continue to go back to that moment that Jesus died for us. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray.